I'm just going to share and uh, James the fifth chapter, James chapter five. Let's start at verse eight. Well, verse seven. Be patient. Be patient. The two words that describe the word patience or patient in the Greek. One of them is, is hupomone, the other is macrothumia. Hupomone speaks of the patience that we that God has us in in the circumstances and situations that we deal with. And we're to be patient in them. Because in those circumstances and situations, he himself is teaching us patience as to those circumstances and situations. And when he's not our guide in the midst of those circumstances and situations, those circumstances and situations will guide us. And we will be left very lonely in that sense. Uh, never alone in our position, but certainly in our experience. That's hupomone, the circumstances and situations, no matter what they are, uh, we have him in us. And he's promised in Joshua 1.5 and Hebrews 13, verse 5, to never leave us nor forsake us. The next word of patience is macrothumia, and it's how to deal and bear up under in the patience of Christ, negative evil people that come against us without any retaliation at all because we function inwardly in meekness. And meekness means we submit and we know that God and every single thing about us, whatever it is, it is for our good. It is for our good. And we don't fight against him. And, and that's meekness. We realize that everything about us and our relationship with him is literally, if it has to do with his good, it's for us. And it certainly does. And that means we don't resist and kick against him. And we can do that just like Saul, even long before he was uh, received Christ there, he was kicking against the ox goats. He was kicking against the very direction of God in his life. And we can do that when he is not guiding us and when he when our circumstances and our situations guide us that's what can happen so again it says here and those are the two uh, meanings for being patient so james 5 verse 8 be you also patient and in that look at what it says establish your hearts your hearts will be established and God can only establish us, and that's why it says in Hebrews 13, verse 9, it is a good thing that our hearts be established in grace, because that's who Christ is. And the only way that he guides us is through grace, and only through grace do we experience truth. And that means we experience him, who is grace and truth, in John 1, verse 14. We experience him individually. And as God has been teaching us, no one can do that for us. No one can make it bring us joy inside if we don't have it with Christ. We can share joy and have fellowship with one another. But that's the way it has to be with us because it's the only plan and, and the only means and the only sacrifice that God has. So be, be you also patient, and when you are, your, your heart will be established. Your mind, your emotions, your will, your, your, your self-consciousness, and your conscience will be established. For the coming of the Lord is getting closer than it's ever been. 
Because that's really what it says. The coming of, what would our thoughts be? What would our plans be? What would be our first thought when we woke up? As someone said, before our big toe hit the floor out of the bed, what would our thoughts be if we knew, and, it, and it's real, that the coming of the Lord's drawing nigh? In other words, we're either, we're either going to go to be with him prior to the rapture or we're all going to be individually raptured. And this is what it's saying. How, what establishes our hearts? Patience. What, what is that that does that? What settles everything about us here? Lord's coming. We're either going to him or he's coming to us. What occupies our whole thoughts when we get... For instance, when we were up this morning, what occupied our thinking? We're going to see um, what can help that to get us back again to a proper place. So, again, grudge not one against another. Oh, boy. What does that mean? Can we hold grudges? Boy, we can. Right? Why? See? Is it one of those two things? Was it a circumstance or a situation that caused me to, really, because the word says groaning inside with irritation. Is it my circumstance or my situation? I don't like it. So all of a sudden God forsook me? Is it that? Or, or do I have something against someone? I'm grudged. I, I am, I'm groaning and grudging inside. I'm grieved. That's what it means. We groan because we're grieved and, and one of those true things, or it could have been someone did evil towards us and we hold it against them. Grudge not one against another. Look what it says. Brethren, gosh, believers in a local assembly. Lest you be what? Condemned. Now, is God condemning? Romans 8, 1. No, where would we be Condemned. It would be the flesh that's in us in Romans 8, 9 that we're not of, right? So, behold, the judge stands before the door. The judge stands before the door. The door. Take, my brother, and the prophets who have spoken in the name, revealing the nature of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. If you and I think we face certain things, Look at Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Go ahead. Again, we've said this before. If we think we face certain things in the greatest country in the world, again, I said it this morning, you know, we can come and hear the word seven days a week. Come into a warm house, have fellowship, a place that's already prepared. All you have to do is come. The word's prepared house is warm. It's been prepared. We have so much to be thankful for, but we can take it for so granted. We can take it for so granted. And, and any of us will when we put ourselves ahead of him. We've said before, and God taught us this in Texas for a year and a half, about the submission of our will. For a year and a half, it was about the will. God teaching all of us um, about the will. And when the will is not submitted, is he, are we in his presence? You know, we get in his presence and it doesn't take very long before we're very thankful. 
Oh, God, thank you. You delivered me from this fear. Uh, you delivered me from the, the, my own bondage of a lack of forgiving someone else. And maybe I thought I was holding them in prison when I was the one that was in the prison. <laughs> Not, But just thanking God for the freedom we have. But yet, freedom is free, isn't it? No. No, it's cost. It's self-sacrificial. It is. But we won't be thankful, and we will take him for granted when he who has first place doesn't have every place in our lives. This is what it's saying. So again, in verse 10, take heed. Take, my brethren, the prophets. In other words, learn from them who've spoken in the nature of the Lord. If you want to know what that is, again, go into Hebrews, the 11th chapter. How'd you like to be Isaiah preaching? Did you ever do a study on him, his life, background? You know, they, 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 they put him in a hollowed out tree. And when it says they cut him in half, it wasn't, it wasn't this way. It was lengthwise. <laughs> we have trials, right? John the, John, the beloved apostle, boiled in oil three times. Boy, we have it tough, don't we? We're not on a, we're not on a an insane asylum, an island, just off the coast of Greece. Boy, we have it so made. We take so much, all of us. We take so much for granted. We only do in the flesh, but God is causing us to be thankful. And I believe he's doing that with all of us too, by the way. And when I say us, I do mean me with you, and that's us. <laughs> well, how about the example of suffering affliction and the end of patience? Wow. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Again, that's that word, endure. That's that word. We get that word patience. Those two meanings, those two Greek words. We count them, what? Happy, which what? Endure. Happy when we quit? Happy when I look to someone else? Get dis disappointed? Happy when I look within, don't find what I need, and I get discouraged? No. We need to see him who's invisible, but yet still there. And even though he, we haven't seen him in First Peter 1.8, we love him because he's always loving us. And 1 John 4, verse 10, freely, and then with that love, we return it with our obedience. And 1 John 4, verse 19, God loved us based upon what? It set, his justice was set free. His just love is set free so he could love us. Did that have anything to do with the suffering and affliction and obedience of Christ? That's why we say our obedience in every known area is returned to him. Boy, you and I, we can't outgive God. We can't. You can't do it. The happiness that comes, the freedom of not being in bondage to self and putting self first and all our plans about ourselves and all this first. Oh, God. To be set free from that is, is incredible. It is totally incredible. And by the way, we are set free from that. So behold, know this, experience this. We count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. 
How patient was he? Well, it took him 32 chapters. Because God was teaching him in that. First, the thing that he was teaching him most was that he was teaching him that patience tells you your righteousness is not in yourself. You, You do not establish even your own righteousness. I can't establish in my experience what has been foundational in my position in Christ, that settled righteousness. He has to do that. But there's a way that he does it. That way is through patience. That way is through hupomone, and that way is through macrothumia. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. What was the end of Job? What was it? What was the greatest thing about him? He said, oh, my God. What was the greatest thing about Isaiah when he was bemoaning the fact that he lost Isaiah, the king Isaiah, reigning for 52 years. And Isaiah was a great patriot, and he was looking at things on the earth. King Isaiah died, and he was moaning and bewailing and weeping about him, and that's when God opened up the heaven. And he saw him still reigning high and lifted up, high and lifted up. Yes, we need each other, but hopefully it's the one in, who's enthroned in the heart that's high and lifted up. Because then you're going to have fellowship. Then you're going to be free. Then it's not going to be bondage. The bondage of, of uh, self-conscious thinking. God. The bondage of, I've got to take care of me first. I've got to do all these other things first. Then I'll seek the kingdom of God. <laughs> oh, in Matthew six thirty-three. Well, that's what Job said. He said, oh my God. I, I, I see you and I repent in dust and ashes. In other words, he was functioning like we can at times in the flesh. And then he, he shows up, God, and he shows us without condemning us. And that's why the Bible always teaches us that the Holy Spirit truly is our guide. He takes the things of Christ through a vessel, through a gift, and he shows them unto us. Because it's God, the Holy Spirit, that will show us what we're like in the flesh without condemning us because that keeps us open and keeps him open to show us who we are in Christ. Those are the two things we're learning constantly. Constantly. Who we are. This is the flesh. This is self. This is selfishness. This is self first. Self first. And this is who we are in Christ. And we're in him based upon what? Self-sacrificial love. Freedom's not free. What God has given us as a gift is not free. We're free in it. We're free to enjoy it. But it was at great cost. At great, great cost. What makes us think that we're owed anything? That's why it says in Romans 13, verse 8, Oh, no man, nothing but what? Love. But if I don't have that, if I don't have his love invested in me, do I have it to invest in you? No, I'll just pretend. Romans 12, 9, let love be without pretending. Well, see the patience of Job and see the end. You know, Job comes to an end of himself when he sees him. And he submits. 
and realizes obedience is fulfilled. Why do we struggle sometimes? Why do, why do we just can't do what we know we should do? Does that have anything to do with the will? The fleshly will, the minding of the flesh in, in Romans 8 verse 5. Just won't do it. I hear it constantly. I should do this. I should be consistent. I should be faithful. I hear it. I don't do it. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is what? And can God fellowship in one area if I'm living in sin? And of course, God will let us know all these things because uh, he loves us. And that's conviction. But it's still a choice, isn't it? Aren't absolutes a choice? I mean, is he absolutely all, my all? Hmm? Can, I have, can I have him 98% and 2% in the flesh? No, because what does a little leaven do? Boy. What a generation we live in now. So different than when I grew up. Oh, boy. The sense of entitlement. I was born, therefore, I'm entitled. (laughs) You know, But when you see the Lord, the end of it is what? The Lord is very pitiful and he has very tender mercy. We see all along, he wasn't giving, this is mercy, he wasn't giving to us what we deserve to get just so he could give us what we didn't deserve to get and grace us out with all the truth about who Christ really is. Is he enthroned in my heart? There's only one, there's only room for one on that throne in this heart. There's only room for one. Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters. Okay? Who's the master? You know, I talked to this this man. He's not in a right relationship at all and thinks he's happy. Does. Thinks he's happy. And he said, yeah, you know, I have one of those. He's talking about his significant other. Let's just put it that way. And he said, yeah, he's the minister of finance. He's the minister of my time. Well, who's the minister of our time? And does our time have to do with everything? Every thought, every word, every deed, every step? Wow. Boy. It's interesting. It's interesting when you had everything that was prepared and given to you as a child. But boy, you grow up, then you're going to find out some things. Freedom, it's not free. (laughs) It's not. That'll do away with the falsity of entitlement. Somehow we're owed things. But above all things, my my brethren, swear not. Don't take oaths. You ever hear that? You know, like in marriage vows, I vow this and I (laughs) skip those. You notice we didn't do that in the last wedding. (laughs) God's taken a vow, and that vow was accomplished through Christ. And when we submit to him, they're all settled. Swear not, neither by heaven, or neither by the earth, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, neither by any other oath. Notice that? But let your your yea be yea, 
and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. And what would keep us out of condemnation? Functioning in who we are in Christ. And that simply means we're free because he who has first place by virtue of who he is has every place in my life. And there's no room for condemnation. That must be fun Live for, for us. Live in known disobedience and still think we're having a great time. Come on. Oh, Lord. Right? Now, verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Is there? Let him pray. Let him learn dependence. And why? Why could it be that some are afflicted? I don't know. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, before, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So does God afflict us at times with loving chastisement? Mm-hmm. To bring us back to a place of what? And which reveals obedience. Isn't that interesting? You know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, he said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. You know, the two or three, they dealt with that every area in their life is dealt with in the life and they have fellowship. You could you could belong to a local assembly of a thousand people, and maybe it's only two or three, but they experience the intensity of his fellowship. Let him pray. Is any merry? Boy, listen. I wish <laughs> the Christian worshipers today wish they could understand this little thing here. Let him sing psalms, because the psalms have to do with the person and work and glory of Christ that glorified his Father and doesn't have another thing to do with another thing. Yes, folks, it's not just the lyrics. It's the beat. There's no question about it. And if we understood music, if we did, and even a little study on it, we would soon realize the reality of it. Is any among you, is any sick among you, Look at, listen to what it says. Is any sick among you? Well, keep it to yourself. You can deal with it. <laughs> no. Let him call for the elders of the church. This is not a board of elders. This, these are older people that have been seasoned through intimate fellowship with Christ. They may not necessarily have a gift of a pastor teacher, but if they do, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, they should be supported consistently. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and so forth and so on. But what we're talking about here is those that are sick. If any, are among, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. What is he teaching? You can't do it yourself, and God's not going to allow you to do it either. Your growth is, no, is not going to be something that God allows you to do yourself <laughs> or myself. We have to be dependent. We have to be. Do they need understanding even about their sickness? Can we be soul sick, fleshly sick? And we can be. We can be, but boy, oof, we don't want to be, do we really? Well, if there's any uh, sick among you, those are the brethren, this local assembly, let them call for the elders of, of that local assembly and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I, st I still believe in doing that. I do believe. But that is symbolic of an, an amazing prayer led by the Holy Spirit. 
because only the Holy Spirit can go to places where none of us even realize yet. And that's what it's symbolic of, although I absolutely do believe in it. And look what it says. And the prayer of what? Faith. And what's faith always teaching us? Dependence. And when I'm dependent, truly dependent, what am I? I'm obedient. And then that sets God free to do what he can do. But will he bless the flesh? No. He'll deal with it. There's no fellowship there at all. Listen, there's not an ounce of fellowship ever in any area where the flesh is active. There is no oneness, experiential oneness. In John 17, 11, 21, and 22. I can't do this because. No, your cause is wrong. I can't do this because. No. <laughs> what can the flesh do and where's the profit in it? Is there any profit in John 6, 63, in Romans, Romans 7, 18? Is there any profit in the flesh? And yet I think if I take care of it first, it profits me. Does it for the believer? No, nope. doesn't even come close to doing it. <laughs> boy, oh boy. God. The prayer of faith will deliver, that word does not say, it, deliver, might deliver the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Who gets the credit? Oh, I have the, you ever hear that? Oh, I have the great gift of healing, you know, and it's the person that did it. <laughs> Boy, that would wipe this out, wouldn't it, the word? Eh? The Lord will raise him up, and if he have committed sins, ooh, and what is sin? It's disobedience. It's the activity of a fleshly will, a, a mind that minds the fleshly thinking. First, then God. But if that's not dealt with, I can have God in his thought. Can I think two things and not be confused? In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, I can. Not. <laughs> If, if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. He will experience the forgiveness that is his or hers in their position. They'll experience it when they, when they are actually confessed. And to do it, to do it, is to do it with levity. You know what that means? It's not just light. It's not dealing lightly with our true character. It's not just dealing lightly with our behavior. It's not. It's very sobering. And it's a very serious thing with God because he considers what his son did to be very, very serious. And he who has first place, God would have his son to dwell there. It's interesting, too, when he does, we experience a loving father. We not only experience a loving father, but we experience his government. His dealing, how he deals with things. They will be forgiven him. Verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? And I'm going to show you what that verse is really teaching because we could look at it. And this can be if, if one has sinned against another and you go to them alone, you know, you, you can, you can, that can be the case. But it can also be something else that we're going to bring out. And this is what this verse truly brings out. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
Listen, the effectual, what kind of prayer? Oh, just light. Yeah, yeah. yeah all right, it was disobedience. Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one little area of disobedience cost Christ his life. <laughs> yeah. Caused them to be cut off in his prime. You ever been cut off in your prime? He was 33 and a half years old. Cut right off in his prime. And in his prime, who do you think he thought of first? His father. And then who do you think he thought of? That's called self-sacrificial love. Oh, boy. <laughs> the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, experiential, right, avails much. Look what prayer can do. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, meaning he struggled, you know, he had to rebound. He had all those things going on, right? But he prayed earnestly. How did he pray? Oh, just like. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have done it, God, you know, and I know I've been living in disobedience. I've been hearing it, you know, and it's after a while, it's like a broken record, and yeah, I've heard that before. You know. <laughs> Let's go on to the next thing, right? No, he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. <laughs> God, wonder why we don't have fruit. What's really real in our life? Do we, have, do we have absolutes and convictions? Do we? Are they established in us? Are they fervent? Wow. Yeah. Well, if they are, it'll bring forth fruit. Brethren, if, if, you, if any of you do, do err or get led away from the truth, and of course we do by being seduced, do you want to know why we, how we live in disobedience? The enemy tries to get us into the flesh, thereby seducing us. That's 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Know this, that in the latter times it says, some will depart from the faith. The faith means those teachings that we are well aware of. We just, no, no, I got to take care of me. I got to do me first. <laughs> me, my plans, <laughs> I got to take care of me. First, <laughs> got to make sure that's all set, you know. If I'm going to do something, go somewhere, I got to have a plan, and let me tell you, we'll be all set, won't we? <laughs> and those are the reasons why in other areas we know we just can't be obedient because I can't obey both, <laughs> the flesh or Christ. It has to be one or the other. I can't serve or worship too. In Matthew 6, verse 24. Well, so they get seduced and for, uh, they get led away from the faith, all the teachings, the person of Christ, all those things that we know that teach us, listen, obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. Now, I can't trust God. Why? I don't see things. I just don't see what's going to happen in the future, so I got to take care of me now. Really? Trust in the Lord in Proverbs 3, 5, with all your heart. Result, lean not to your own understanding. What's that trust in the Lord with all your heart? That means every single thought about every single circumstance and situation, every single person, okay? First and foremost, those that are in your own local assembly. Because huh? you know what fellowship is, right? In 1 John 1, 1, 2, 3. You know what the word fellowship is, Kenanee? It's setting aside private interest and the, your own desires. Set, nope. Then you come in and you have fellowship for the whole. 
Everything you do is for the benefit of the whole local assembly, not just you. <laughs> oh, God, help us. So they get, they get seduced by doctrines, it says, that demons convince them of. And where can he do that? In the flesh. Right? Well, brethren, if any of you, brethren, do err from the truth and one convert him. Conversions, a series of conversions, right? Functioning in the flesh, the word comes in, submit, it cuts it off. Now you're God conscious. Now you're free instead of being in bondage of self-conscious thinking. Okay? And that's what goes on. God lovingly convinces us through the sword of the Spirit, which is the word in, he in, in Hebrews 4.12 and in Ephesians 6.17. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, knowingly, geez, gosh, what does it take? Or unknowingly, from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of whose way? His way. Read Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 16, 25, Jeremiah 10, verse 23. There's a way that seems right unto a man. Yeah, I got to take care of me first. Yep. And the end of those ways are what? Death, separation from God. Self-conscious thinking. God. Self-conscious thinking, self-plan, self everything. We got it all straight. Let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way will deliver a soul from death. What does God want to do right now? Deliver us from separation from him. And boy, if we got our own plans and we get everything just right about us and what we think we need to do before we do it. Oh, God. And not being content where we are. So I got to go somewhere else in my thinking. I got to go somewhere else because I'm not content right now in my circumstances and situations. And the reason I'm not is because they're guiding me. So I need to go somewhere else to be free over there when I'm here. And, and is he present in me right where I am? Who should I submit to? Him? His plans? Or do I have to, th I got to make my own. I got to keep it on reserve. Yeah, I'm here and everything's great. But boy, do I have a reserve plan in place. Oh yeah. It's called discernment. <laughs> That's what it's called. It's called pinpoint discern discernment. Loving pinpoint discernment. Because, <laughs> you know, we know better. Will save a soul, will deliver a soul from death, and will hide a multitude of sins. What is God always doing with us? Seriously. And you don't hear this. And God is all love, grace, and mercy, and uh, he gives us what we need. Does he give anything to the flesh? You, come on. Would he? No. Do you hear that a lot, though? Huh? Does that, is that like a lot of worship, too? <laughs> Not dealing with areas, living in sin, and still like this? Doing all, oh, God. Mm. Oh, oh, boy. Oh, to me, it's, it's almost blasphemous, but that's just my own personal conviction. God. Mm, God. What is he always doing with us? If he shows us, and he, and he is... 
deals with the areas where we're living in ourself. Is, why is he doing it? Is he being gracious? Yeah. Yes. Is he being merciful? Yeah. He's not leaving me in that place. You know, and if I'm in that place and others don't know, am I going to be a lead? Am I going to lead them too with my great plans and my great thoughts? Boy, what do we give our time to? <laughs> that like certain things are necessary just because someone else is doing something. And if I look to the someone else and they're my something, I need to know what they're doing and get involved with it. Even though I'm right here and, and Christ is in me. <sighs> it's called adult playpen living. That's what it's called. It's living as an adult in a playpen. <laughs> I've lived there too. And all of us will in the flesh. God is graciously, without any question about it, doing what is always needing and what we always need. What do we always need? What is he always, the first thing that grace is teaching me? Because I don't deserve it. What is it teaching me? To know yourself outside of Christ. Areas that I function in outside of him. Now, can I, can I live in rebellious disobedience? What's rebellious disobedience? I know, but I don't do it. I heard it a million times. I don't, no. Hey, let's go on. Really? Okay, all right. Of course, you, you know, you don't have to submit and be obedient because after all, everything that Christ did was free. It didn't cost him anything. Just like in our relationships, right? It didn't cost anything. We're entitled. Where did that come from? Interesting. You know, even mommy and daddy, when they support you, what do you think they got? it? Was it given to them free? What are they teaching you? What are they teaching you? Or do they feel like they constantly have to meet your need when you're an adult? What are they teaching you? To be dependent on who? Christ or them? What are you being taught? Who are you submitting to? Who's your authority? You're going to make someone your authority based upon what you believe they can give you and you believe that they're the only ones that can meet that need. And you know the first thing we always think about? You read Matthew, the sixth chapter. There are all those material things. I got to get those things all about me straight first. Then, then it's you, Lord, you know. I got to take care of it 100%, and then I'll just throw my pittance in, and that's enough. <laughs> in obedience. I'm talking about strictly obedience to the known will of God, and that can be in a multitude of areas. But no wonder. He's constantly showing us. He's making us know ourselves, and he's the only one that can make us to know ourselves by the Holy Spirit without condemning us. Because God doesn't condemn us because we're in Christ in Romans 8.1. But let me tell you, a ton of conviction. And, you know, in the flesh, we think it's being judged. And you know why we think it's that? Because we haven't lived in self-judgment of that rotten self. That's why. And then we get condemned. Why? Is there any condemnation to them that are in Christ experientially? Uh, is there in Romans 8.1? No. A ton in the flesh. Read the fourth verse of Romans chapter 8 and look at the minding of it. 
in chapter 8, 4 through 8. Look at how it flows when we don't live experientially in submitted obedience to Christ. Well, yeah, we, we love the truth, and, and there's certain things that you and I can take from the truth. And, and it's not without any measure of, uh, you know, sincerity. Yeah but, yeah, but if I don't know who I am, how sincere am I with those truths? How sincere am I? How sincere could I be? Well, why? Do you ever get led to that point? Do you ever get led to the point where, you know what? There's things going on inside of me. There's things that, that are causing me to be troubled and distressed. I'm going to tell you, this is what this verse is teaching. If you can't do it yourself, okay, then you go to someone and ask them. You don't even necessarily have to bring up the specific thing of it. It may be an embarrassment. It may be a shame. It may be, and of course, we know that love covers. In Proverbs 10, verse 12, and 1 Peter 4, verse 8, love covers. It doesn't go around and chirp. Seriously. It doesn't go around. This doesn't mean that you do that. It doesn't mean when you go to someone else and you say, you know, I don't like this thing about this Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's a prayer to God. Not at all. Here, this is Proverbs 17, verse 9. He that covers a transgression seeks love. But he that repeats a matter separates very friends. Mm -hmm. You're in a particular place. You say, uh, someone treats you a certain way. You think they treat you that way in a certain place where you are. You don't have the understanding. You don't even know what obedience is in your life yet, but yet you'll go to another place and explain it. You know what this is saying? Are you seeking love here? No. Nope. Separates very friends. I've experienced that being here, by the way. I want to make that clear, too. Sin is it's not light. It is not light. It isn't. So here's Proverbs 25. Verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. And you think that's fellowship. No, that's not what James 5.16 is saying. It's saying you go to someone, you go to them, because something is distressing you. You're not even sure what it is. Maybe you are, but you go to one, and be careful who you go to, by the way. Make sure they're very seasoned in Christ, in growth. Seriously, make sure. And, and make sure at least that you know, honestly, without judging, but in discernment, there's a difference between discernment and judgment. You know, you live in the flesh, you think everything's judging you when it's God trying to give you discernment, but you think it's judging because he hasn't broken the will yet. And there's no discernment without brokenness, obviously, and it's no freedom either experientially. And so you go to them, you go to them and confess what's distressing you, right? This isn't a command, by the way. It's not a command of God. It's not. It is a strong suggestion if it's available. And if no one's available for you to do that, then who should you go to? You, if any lack wisdom. Yeah, but it just might be God's not going to give you the answer because you're not humble because he may have the answer 
with a person that's right there and you refuse to do it because maybe you have something against them. <laughs> maybe. Well, well, it's pressing on me. Something's pressing on my conscience. I can't get rid of it. I, I just can't get rid of it. I'm always, in some area, I always seem to be fretful. I never seem, I know I have peace. I know that's what the Bible says, but I don't experience that peace that's mine, that Christ is in me. Well, Psalm 37, verse 1, fret not yourself. Why? Because where does fret coming from? Self-consciousness. Everything's about me. I'm fretting all. I can't be obedient in certain areas because what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? Fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be you envious against the workers of iniquity. That's the people in the world, you know, oh, they don't, look at, they, they got everything, they, everything's provided for them, they don't have a care, I know, because the devil's got them deceived, and he's going to continue to supply them as the God of this world to keep them in that lying bondage and in that lust that's never satisfied. Because we know eventually what that will do, right? Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word and he healed them. And he delivered them from all their self-destructive patterns we see that are in the flesh. Those are enumerated in Genesis 3, verse 6, and in 1 John 2, verse 16. For they, evildoers of iniquity, for they will soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Now, can I trust him if I'm not being obedient? If my will's not submitted and I'm living in self-consciousness and everything's about me, well, I trust God. Trust in the Lord and do good. Who's good? Where does good come from? God only. So you will dwell in the land. You'll experience all the freedom of those promises that's, that has set you free in Christ. And verily, you will be what? Fed. Fed. I mean, if I live in areas of known disobedience and I just continue to do it, can I be fed fully? No. And if it's not happening here, I got to go somewhere else and get it. I got to follow someone else. I got to follow their plans. Wherever they're going, I got to follow them. Make sure. Because maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, you're missing what God has for you where you are. And you're being led astray. <laughs> Delight yourself also in all your loved ones. Because that's where your delight comes from. No, delight yourself in the also in the Lord, and not them, but He will give you the desires of your heart. But first, He's going to show you this is where you're living. This is where you're not being satisfied. This is what's distressing you. This is where this is where you're not allowing Me to do in you what's already been done about you through My love. That's distressing you, and usually they are areas of disobedience, rebelliously or ignorantly, but at least ignorantly, if I am entreatable, I can submit my will when the light comes on. Because if I don't receive the light when it comes on, what am I going to continue to function in? Darkness. The darkness of disobedience. Just me and Jesus. Really? That's fellowship, huh? <laughs> That's not fellowship. Not at all. Commit your way unto the Lord. No, I'm going to commit my way unto others' plans. No, commit your way unto the Lord. Listen, trust also 
and others to make that happen. No, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. That's why someone's plans and what they think I should do ain't bringing nothing to pass in my life. That's a guarantee. Maybe potential, but boy, if it ain't from God. And you know who he would tell? He would tell me. That's interesting, too, how that works. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he'll bring it to pass. He will bring forth your righteousness, personal experience, as the light. That's 1 John 1, 7. You're going to walk in the specific, intimate character that he created you in Christ that no one else can replace. And your judgment, your ability to discern things as the brightest light, noonday. I'll see everything clearly based upon an intimate relationship with him. And you know what that will do? It'll cause me to rest in the Lord. I'll have rest. And then I'll what? Wait frantically, fretfully. No, wait patiently. There's those two words again. He's teaching us about self with those two words, hupomone, macrothumia. Right? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself. And don't let others' plans cause you to fret. <laughs> Whoopee. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his own way. Because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. That's an unbeliever. That could be us in the flesh. It's not who we are, but then what it'll do, it will cease from anger. Well, you know what happens when we can't deal with the stress? Those things that are weighing on us sooner or later, you know, they're like the tea kettle on the fire. All of a sudden, out comes that anger. Then I want to get what someone I trust the most. I trust you. <laughs> I trust you because you, you know me and we have a special fellowship, don't we? have a special bond apart from the rest of the local assembly. You understand me better than anyone. Yeah, because it takes one to know one in the flesh. But here, when we confess, what do we confess? What is your confession? In 1 John 1, 9, what do you confess? Christ. He's dealt with it. That's who you go to. Confess your faults one to another. I don't have to call someone else and tell them. Oh. Again, we'll leave it at that. So you confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, to pray for one another means what first? What must I first do as an individual? Who must I first give myself over to? Am I going to give myself over to someone else and then take that someone with me and then we'll pray? Is that how that works? It's not how it works, okay? Because that's the enemy teaching you someone other than Christ is your authority and you need them. Interesting. Interesting. Got six minutes. We're going to have to finish this one up, I'll tell you. And I plan on doing it tomorrow because we're scratching again right now. And uh, thank God for that, though. So I can't get rid of this thing that's pressing on my conscience. I can't. I can't do it. My God's not allowing me to do it, because he's humbling me, and he's showing me. See this area in your life? You can't do it. 
And you may want to bypass those that he put for you to do it with and go to another, but he's not going to get done. He's not going to do it. Again, precise. Precise for all of us. Definition. Precise, crystal clear definition. See? So I have to go to someone. Just make sure the one that you go to is walking in the light. That means they're in fellowship. Because if you go to them, the only thing you're going to exchange is who's mastering you both outside of Christ, and that's the flesh. And you want to call that fellowship. You see the difference? What truly fellowship is and what truly worship is? Yeah. Well, you're going to see this, and I'm going to see how effectual this can be. Because when I have a spirit that's completely and constantly fretful, when that happens, that is God teaching me and showing me, you are out of fellowship with me. You're out of communion with me. You're not communing with me. You're going to another source to have that dealt with. You're bypassing me and your own individuality. And my desire, after having accomplished everything for you in the perfection of my love and the completion of my love, you're, you're going to somebody else. And God is a jealous God. Exodus 20, verse 5. God's a jealous God over you. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, God is a jealous God. He is. In Exodus 34, and verse 13, he's a very jealous God over you in intimacy. Very jealous in Hebrews 12. And you look at how that works Read Hebrews 12, 1 through 29, in terms of the jealous love of God for you individually that nobody else can replace. Okay? Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Well, what you, you and I need to do is then, when we fret with these areas, we need to find someone who's walking in the light and complete obedience, and it's very seasoned in the things of God, right? And they're in communion and fellowship with God because when that's the case, now they're worthy of me going to them because that worthiness has to do with Christ, and it'll keep out all flesh. Instead of saying, okay, oh, God, I can't believe what happened to me. Oh, my, the way this person treated me, this thing that happened, oh, God. Instead of doing that, you get with someone and you know what they'll tell you? Shh, let's pray. Let's not blame the circumstance, the negative evil person. Let's not play the blame game. Let's go to him who's dealt with it all. Let's give him what he's very jealous of with me, time. And when you know what? When he has me experientially in his hand, right? In John 10, 28 and 29, we are in his hand, by the way. We are in his hand. We're in his hand, and that speaks of our experiential reality based upon our position. And our, then when he is, when we're in his hand, he has our times in his hand in Psalm 31, verse 15. Here's the correlation. That's why in 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, you younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Same in Christ, but not equal in function in a local assembly. It just isn't. It just is not that way. It's not. We're to treat, treat uh, like women, like for instance, my wife who's older, you treat her like you would treat a loving mother. She's not your equal in that sense. 
and, and me as a pastor and, and to some, to a pastor and as a spiritual dad, you treat them as a spiritual dad. You are not their equal in terms of honor and respect. We are in Christ. We are in Christ and we, and we can. But when that order's right, there's going to be a beautiful flow of submitting and reverence and reverencing Christ in the vessel in Ephesians 5 and verse 21. And we also need to be careful how we talk to others that are elder too, by the way. We don't talk to them like we do to other younger people. We just don't, because that is not respect. And maybe we didn't know, maybe we were never taught, because the one that was doing the teaching didn't know. And that's not bad, it's just ignorance. It's just ignorance, and we all need to be taught in these things. But one thing we do need to go is to go to those that are worthy. They have the worth of Christ in them, ready, ready to bring that other out and come right into a place where, here, let's be dependent on him together, and I'll pray with you. That's what James 5.16 is saying. So, Father, thank you so much that... My circumstances and evil, negative people are not my guide. You are. You are my guide until the death, in Psalm 48, verse 14, because in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, the day of one's death is greater than one's birth. Because for me to live, in Philippians 1, 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is an eternal gain. So, Father, thank you for this, for this word this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen.